Well, let's turn once again to the first epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 15. First Corinthians in chapter 15. This, of course, is that great uh, chapter on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going through the fundamental uh, doctrines um, of the Christian church, and uh, and so we're looking at... Uh, well, just to read the first four verses, and it'll become very clear to us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Well, we'll leave it there, but uh, we're looking now at the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen uh, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he uh, was buried and he rose again, according to the Scriptures. When we come to that uh, great epistle from the Apostle Paul, uh, that is uh, uh, the epistle to the Romans in chapter 1, we have here a very wonderful epistle indeed. It's one of the great epistles of the New Testament. And just to read the first four verses of this epistle... Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead." Just to read on another couple of verses. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So here we have uh, this great epistle to the Romans from uh, Paul and here he makes a very forthright declaration that our faith depends on uh, the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the claims that our Lord made uh, for his being Messiah, the Son of God, they are truly undeniable. For example, he claimed the authority and the ability to forgive sin. Uh, you remember that occasion when uh, there was a paralysed man uh, four friends brought him to 
the Lord Jesus, but the building in which they were was crowded. They couldn't get through. So being very enterprising men, they climbed up on the roof, shifted some of the tiles and lowered their paralysed friend down through the roof. And what did Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven you. What? No one can forgive sins. I can't forgive your sins. You can't forgive my sins. No one can forgive anyone's sins. Only God. Yes, the Lord Jesus is God. He claimed to be God. But of course they thought, you know, this is blasphemy. And, uh, and so also he claimed to be the great I Am. We be Abraham's seed. You know, Abraham is our father and the Lord contradicted that. He said, you are of your father, the devil. If you really were Abraham's seed, you would know who I am because Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And uh, what? You're, you're not even yet 50 years old. And, you know, how can, how can you, you know, you be Abraham's father? But, um, but the Lord replied, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And there he claimed that great uh, title for Jehovah, the name for Jehovah given to Moses from the burning bush when uh, Moses in exile in the land of Midian caring for sheep you know, as someone has well pointed out, Moses died at age 120 and that 120 year span was divided into three. I'm digressing a little here. And that uh, three sections of 40 years each. The first 40 years in the uh, palace in Egypt, learning to be a somebody. And then uh, he was uh, sent, he went into exile, went to the land of Midian and uh, was looking after sheep of the man who became his father-in-law, marrying one of uh, Jethro's daughters. And uh, there he learned to be a nobody. And for the final 40 years, he learned what God can do with somebody who thinks he's a nobody or nobody who thinks he's a somebody. And uh, it it is a wonderful description. I think I've made a mess of it all, but uh, there you go. You know what I mean. All right, so... um, So he claimed to be the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And of course, once again, blasphemy, and they took up stones to throw at him, but he just disappeared from their sight. And on other occasions when he said uh, those words, I am, it drew a response from those who heard it. For example, on one occasion, uh, he was teaching the people by the shores of Galilee And then as evening drew near, the disciples went aboard their ship. They went off into the lake and Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. And then in the hours of darkness, they saw him walking on water, but they thought it was an apparition. They became very frightened. And what did the Lord say? In the words of our English Bibles, he said, Be not afraid, it is I. But actually in the original it is, Be not afraid, I am. And this time uh, after Peter said, well, if it truly is, uh, bid me to come to you walking on water. And the Lord did so and Peter took a few steps and then he looked around and saw, he said, this is not right. And he started to sink. But, um, 
But the Lord said to the disciples, then I am. And when he came on board the ship, they worshipped him. Uh, On another occasion when he spoke those words, I am, it had another response, but this time it was from the uh, soldiers of the temple when they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he stepped forward, Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. And he replied, I am. In our Bibles it's got I am he, but you'll notice that the word he is in italics. He replied, I am. And the soldiers just fell on their backs helpless. But you see, the Son of Man came to give himself a ransom for all. And so then when he asked them again, he allowed them to take him uh, to the Sanhedrin for judgment. So he claimed to be the great I am. He claimed to be the Son of God. Now, are these claims valid? Because if they are, then the preaching of the resurrection of Christ is absolutely vital. And this is what we must uh, never lose sight of. The preaching of Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled. So let us then uh, look at this uh, under three headings. First of all, the resurrection of Christ as foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Secondly, the historical account of the actual resurrection. And uh, thirdly, the doctrinal importance uh, of his resurrection. So going to the book of Psalms, first of all, and we have Psalm, uh, Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So then that is a scripture to do with the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Just to go to the Gospel of John and chapter 20, uh, we read there in verse, uh, verse 5, For as yet they, the disciples, did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So here is this resurrection account, uh, just jumping ahead of ourselves because this is the historical part of it, this is the actual event of it, but we read that the disciples here did not know and uh, several times as we come to these uh, historical accounts it's clear that the disciples did not know but if we come over to just a couple of pages into 
the book of Acts in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was come, and uh, Peter stood up to preach. Now, this is that Peter who was uh, cowering before a slip of a girl who said, you're one of his followers, and he denied it with oaths and cursing. But, um, but now, uh, as we heard this morning, he is a changed man. He's been recommissioned, and now instead of being the uh, frightened fellow that he was before uh, those enemies of our Lord, now he's boldly proclaiming to uh, all and sundry. And we're in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 22, and uh, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, now that is the name by which these unbelieving Jews knew the Lord, that he was Jesus of Nazareth, uh, brought up in the city of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. But uh, Peter says concerning him, A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You know, you look at this just 50 years before, 50 days before, he was, he was trembling before just one or two people now boldly preaching like this. And he said, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, David in the Psalms, Psalm 16, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. In the Old Testament reading, uh, Sheol, uh, that is uh, the Hebrew for the Greek Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So there is that quote from Psalm 16 that we read. And furthermore, as you go down, he quotes from uh, one of David's Psalms once again, just to read on from verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this Jesus, the one that you thought was no one of account but rather should be got rid of, this Jesus of Nazareth, this same Jesus, God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord, that is Jehovah, see the Lord all in capital letters, Yahweh said to my Lord, my Adonai, my master, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now he's quoting from Psalm 110, the first verse. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so Peter went on to say, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so uh, the the Old Testament scriptures, they tell us of uh, those occasions when uh, the prophets, uh, whether it be through a psalmist or or one of the recognised prophets, foretold the... um, Uh, the resurrection of our Lord. There are other Old Testament references which may not um, uh, specifically uh, point to it, but but certainly uh, the implications are there. They are certainly implied. Uh, For example, that wonderful 53rd chapter of Isaiah where where it speaks of the suffering of Christ and his death and his burial... um, Uh, that he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgression. And then you come to verse um, uh, 9, that uh, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. All of these things happened uh, in... um, in, uh, in the death and burial of our of our Lord. But then you come to the closing verses, and this is what we read here of uh, Isaiah and the 53rd chapter. Uh, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Surely this indicates a resurrection for uh, one who has died. Uh, They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence or as the New American Standard Bible reads, his grave was assigned with wicked men, but he was with a rich man in his death. And how wonderfully that was brought about. When our Lord died and uh, his body had to be taken down from the cross, what would have become of it? He was numbered with the transgressors. His body would have been dealt with just as those bodies of the two criminals were. But um, but the Lord had other plans and 700 years beforehand he told Isaiah, he told his people through Isaiah the funeral arrangements he'd made for his son. His grave was assigned with wicked men 
but he was with a rich man. You would have thought the disciples would have come forward, but they, they were not about. In their fear, they forsook the Lord and they fled. What about the Lord's four half-brothers, whose names we know from Scripture? Um, contrary to the teaching of the Church of Rome, Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary did not remain in perpetual virginity. She and Joseph had a normal, happy married life and there were four sons and at least two daughters born to them. And uh, the names of the lads are mentioned. Uh, uh, James and Joseph and uh, Simeon or Simon and uh, Judah. And uh, in the Gospels we have these names given. But um, where were they? It looked like the case was hopeless and his body would have been disposed of as a criminal but a man that we'd never heard of before, a man of influence, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin. And where did he come from? Well, God had his hand on him from before the world began. If the Lord was slain before the foundation of the world, then God had Joseph of Arimathea already in the plan for his son. And so he stepped forward, he went to Pontius Pilate, he asked for the body and he gave uh, the Lord Jesus a lovely burial in his own new tomb. And so his grave was assigned with wicked men, but God intervened. He was with a rich man in his death. And so then in the closing verses we see that um, uh, I'll divide him a portion with the great so therefore there has to be a resurrection for that to take place. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And so the resurrection is implied here in this Old Testament passage. <coughs> then there are the occasions uh, in the Gospels where the Lord himself foretold of his, uh, his resurrection for example, uh, remember how uh, he said to his uh, disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the answers came back, Oh, well, some say that you're uh, John the Baptist come back from the dead. John, of course, had been beheaded. And uh, so his preaching was something like that of John. And some say that uh, you've come back from the dead. Uh, others were saying that one of the Old Testament prophets, uh, Jeremiah, and, uh, and uh, you know various other answers were given. And he said, who do you say that I am? And not surprisingly, it was Peter who replied on behalf of them all, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so he was warmly commended for that. But uh, just to um, follow on from then, uh, so um, verse 21 of uh, Matthew chapter 16 from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day uh, Luke tells us uh, the same account in his gospel 
uh, in Luke chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer, be killed and raised the third day. Uh, this exact uh, account uh, recorded by Luke. And, uh, and in Luke's gospel, the, the, the disciples uh, became sorrowful. Here, uh, Peter uh, resists that. He said, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And the Lord had to rebuke Peter very, very strongly. And so uh, there were times when he told his disciples that he must uh, die, be put to death, and uh, be raised again the third day. But not only did he make this prophecy to his own followers, his own disciples and those others who were following him, but also to the unbelievers the scribes and Pharisees came to him on one occasion because uh, he was claiming to be the Messiah, uh, the long-promised Messiah that all Israel was waiting to see, wondering if he would come in their own lifetime. And now Messiah has come. He went into the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath day, stood up to read, and uh, so they handed him the prophecy of Isaiah, a scroll, and uh, from Chapter 61, he read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to do certain things. And uh, he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was claiming to be the Messiah. They said, Blasphemy, we know who you are. You're the son of the carpenter. They were going to have him destroyed, but he disappeared from them as well. But... um, Uh, So anyhow, one occasion when they came and said, um, by what authority do you do this or how come you claim this? And uh, this is in Matthew chapter 12, give us a sign that you are. Now, these were the religious leaders. They did have a responsibility. If somebody came claiming to be the Messiah, they had a responsibility to examine him and to see whether or not that claim was valid or if he was a fraud. And so uh, you could say on the one hand they were doing what would be expected of them to ask for proof, but there were already signs of plenty in his preaching, in his teaching, but in the miracles that he performed. And these were unbelieving Jews, scribes and Pharisees, And so he said, well, there'll be no sign given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the bowels of the earth. And so so he gave them that sign. But he also delivered that with a solemn warning, a solemn note. He said the men of Nineveh in the coming day of judgment, they'll rise up in judgment against this generation because when Jonah came to them, they repented. But, you know, there's no repentance on the part of these people here who wanted to have him destroyed. On another occasion, we read of this one in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 2, when he overturned the tables of the money changers. This is following... Uh, his first miracle, the changing of water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. And he went into the temple and there were these money changers. He tipped them over. My house shall be called for all nations a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. 
by what authority did you do that? And uh, he said to them, you destroy this temple and in three days I'll build, raise it again. Well, the disciples, you know, who heard that, they didn't understand. But it seems that the, um, that, that the unbelieving Jews understood all right because when you come to uh, the uh, closing verses of um, uh, Matthew chapter 27... Uh, this is after his crucifixion. Um, <clears throat> so the Lord is now dead. He, is, he has been buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And we read here on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, this is to do with the Passover, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember when he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went, made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And then, of course, chapter 28 opens with the resurrection. And uh, Matthew, it seems, in his, uh, he, he, he's ready to take on both uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, the enemies of Christ and all the others that comes out throughout. And so he records this, that the other gospel writers do not. And, uh, and so when... Um, uh, when the soldiers had to go back and say that um, that uh, the tomb was empty, and uh, so uh, chapter twenty-eight and verse eleven. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came to the city, reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying to them. Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. So you, you see, uh, they, they were powerless to stop the resurrection from Christ. Even with uh, sealing that tomb, after the stone was rolled in place and then setting a guard uh, of soldiers there to, to it and so it was uh, secure. So we have these, um, uh, these uh, scriptures foretelling but to look at it now from the actual event I'd like to go to uh, the Gospel of John and chapter 20 and uh, here... Uh, you can well imagine this is going to be in two parts. We're running out of time. Okay, so John chapter 20 and verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. 
Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they ran both of them together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now here in these verses we have the same word uh, three times here. Uh, These two disciples, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Bible scholars are agreed that this is John referring to himself anonymously. Uh, He didn't give himself, uh, didn't name himself by name, but rather he just said the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, of course, Jesus loved all of his disciples, but uh, John, I suppose, he really responded to that love. Anyhow, uh, when he said here in verse 4, they ran together and the other disciple, that is John, outran Peter. Uh, I just wondered why he put that in there and it may be because Peter usually is the faster runner and uh, surprise, surprise, John actually uh, got there first. And uh, if that is the explanation, well, I suppose the reason would be that because of Peter's having denied the Lord three times just three days ago, uh, he would be feeling very, very bad and, uh, you know, his feet would have been leaden. So anyhow, John arrived there first and he, this is verse 5, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths Then Peter came following him. He went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths. And when you come to verse 8, then the other disciple, this is John again, who came to the tomb first, went in also and he saw and believed. We had a lesson in uh, New Testament Greek this morning with uh, two of the different words for love, even though in our English Bible it's got love uh, for both of them. And... uh, And, of course, we miss a lot of the actual original meaning uh, when when the same word is used for two different words in the original. Well, here we have the word saw three times, and there are three different words in the original. The first one is blepo, and that means just a casual glance. John came, he looked, it's empty, and then he turned away. I just uh, just saw that it was empty and uh, thought no more. Well, when I say he thought no more about it, he did nothing more about it. Now, when it comes to Peter, the word there for saw is thero. And uh, this is the Greek word that we get our English word theory from. It means that he looked and he contemplated. He wondered what's going on here. And then uh, John came back again, and this time it's the Greek horao, which means that uh, he 
he saw and understood and he believed, it says here. So firstly, uh, verse 5, he's stooping down, looking in, he saw and then he looked away. And then, uh, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw and he, he puzzled about it, he thought about it, but uh, he didn't come up with any answers. And then once again, John came again, verse 8, the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and the penny dropped. Ah, yes. And uh, so it just goes on to say in verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They did not know those scriptures in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and uh, all of the other uh, uh, places where it is prophesied in Old Testament times where it is all predicted, Isaiah 53 and, uh, and other uh, passages as well, Daniel chapter 9 in verse, uh, and also in the book of Zechariah. All of these other Old Testament scriptures, they did not know it. They're only fishermen after all. They don't have the written scriptures. They'd only pick up uh, Old Testament as they uh, went to the synagogue on uh, various occasions. And so they could be excused for not knowing, but in those 50 days between uh, Passover and Pentecost, you know, uh, then it was very obvious that Peter then knew, and he's quoting the Old Testament uh, with uh, great boldness. And so um, he, here is one of the accounts where uh, where we have the, the actual um, event itself brought before us. So then... Um, <clears throat> Uh, these are the historical accounts. Um, we, we, we think of, um, well, just to read on in John chapter 20. Um, in verse 1, we saw that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. And then in verse 11, Mary stood outside uh, by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now there is love personified, because she is claiming to do what really she would have been unable to do. Physically, it would not have been possible for her to do it. And yet, in because of her love she was determined to do it if she could and so when the Lord turned and said to her Mary spoke her name she turned and said to him Rabbani which is to say teacher now here we come to a with this one I'll close now but uh, this to me has been a, something of a puzzle Jesus said to her do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father but go to my brethren, say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, 
to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And uh, I haven't been able to find a satisfactory answer why the Lord said, uh, do not cling to me. Because when you read the other Gospels, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, for example, you see that uh, when he came to the women, they held him by the feet and he didn't stop them. But now he's saying to Mary, don't hold me. And, uh, and I was just wondering why. And uh, the, the women in, or the, the, uh, those in Matthew chapter 28 who came, well, they had already been told that the Lord had risen from the dead. So perhaps for them it was not a surprise. Perhaps the Lord was saying to Mary, don't cling to me because you thought, you supposed that I was the gardener, you thought that, that I was dead and still dead and remained dead. But now faith is coming to light you're seeing that I'm here, but perhaps I still might be an apparition. You want to hang on to me, to hold me, to, to be able to feel that, yes, it is a human body, uh, that I have been raised. You know, don't let confirmation spoil your faith. Um, I, I think I've put that pretty badly too. But um, as I say, I've, I've just been puzzled over that. Uh, I, I have seen other explanations in the past, but, uh, you know, to do with the Day of Atonement and the High Priest going in and uh, uh, various other things which I don't understand. But, um, but it seems that, uh, you know, don't... You're, you're experiencing real joy because, you know, the way she said, Teacher, Rabbani, and... Uh, and, and, you know, don't let the actual confirmation uh, destroy your faith. You know, you've got faith that I am, so, uh, so stick with that. As I say, I've probably put that very badly, but, um, yes, it's certainly one, if, if you've got another answer for me, uh, by all means, come and tell me. But uh, we'll close it there. We'll get on to the doctrinal part on another occasion. So we've looked at the Old Testament predictions and we've looked at uh, a couple of events uh, which occurred when the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Still the doctrinal section to go, the doctrinal necessity for preaching the gospel. All right, let's close. Father, we give you thanks once again for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the one who came to to open the way of salvation to all who would repent of sin and turn by faith to the Lord Jesus. We give you thanks that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We give you thanks that salvation is available full and free to all who come by faith to him. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us now as we separate, take us to our homes in safety and be with us throughout these coming days until we meet again. And so we ask all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.